Well, I'm up in uh, Chicago today, as as I noted earlier. So first of all, uh, I should have been recording earlier. We missed some 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 content gold about uh, 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 not Hansel. What are they called? The Umbop people. <laughs> Hansen. Hansen. Yes, um, yes. So yes. you know. That will be left as an exercise to the listener. We are recording today on March 29th, 2017. According to Matt Ray, maybe we'll come back to this at the end. It'll be the Easter egg. This is somehow some significant date for, uh, for, for Hansel or Umbop or whatever. So, uh, you know, you got that going on. But, here, you know, I'm up here in Chicago. We were visiting with some lovely people for, for a day, uh, just kind of going over, like, uh, the whole pivotal experience. There's two things I wanted to mention. One, uh, guess what? It's like 45 degrees here. It's crazy. So, like, we take off from Austin, direct flight on American Airlines uh, from Austin to Chicago. It's, like, warm, right? And I feel like a goof for bringing my uh, $300 Patagonia trash bag jacket, as, as my buddy Josh Long put it. He's like, oh, you're dressed in a trash bag. And I was like, <laughs> thanks, fucker. I still like you anyways. Uh, but So I have that on there. And then you get off on Chicago, and you're like, it's cold up here. It's like weird. I don't know what's going on. It's very confusing, but it's delightful because as as my my fellow Austinites, you know, their their current uh upside down world status aside would know, it's like one of the tragedies of living in Austin is you basically have a, like a week where you can wear your winter wear. So I'm just like I'm just like I'm jazzed. I can I can get more of ROI out of my uh, Patagonia investment. Well, you can tell I've been in Australia for too long because because earlier when you were talking, you said it was 45 in in Chicago. I I thought it was hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have you have you have been on on too long. Great. So speaking of norms, uh, you know Matt Ray actually noticed as always an interesting sort of like amount of buzz here and that is uh how, how did you word it like uh everything's coming up kubernetes or first <laughs> of all coming up kubernetes first of all can you can you two give me a clinic on how i'm supposed to pronounce that word and i'll try really hard to, to do it this time kuber kuber netes netes or netes <laughs> kubernetes i uh, will yeah there you go good kubernetes. enough you know what if you say it fast you know you'll you'll be fine Kubernetes. All right. All right. I like it. I was doing a webinar with, with uh, a big friend of the show, Bridget, earlier today. And I think I finally learned a good mnemonic for how to say her last name, which I'll probably get wrong. But I got the first half down because she does this wonderful thing where she's like, as if people she's telling would know this. She's like, it's Crom, like Conan's God. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, of course, like Conan's yeah. God. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, Bridget, Bridget, what is best in life? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's a good. Uh, I I wish I had some reference I could make to Conan. But uh, you know, I I think I think the 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 story that came up most recently that was pretty good was the uh, like what is it? eBay swapping out their their OpenStack container management with Kubernetes. Does that mean they're still using OpenStack or what's? I mean, they're a big reference case for for OpenStack. So yeah. What, what does this mean? Yeah. So 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 that article at first. The first time I read it, I was like, "Oh, they got rid of they got rid of they got rid of OpenStack." And then I had to like reparse it and reread it again. You know, those guys are, are definitely the big poster children, or you know, one of the poster children for OpenStack. And what they've done is they've ripped out the container manager that was built into OpenStack, and, which is called Magnum, and they've replaced it with their own home homebrewed thing uh, that they're calling uh, Tessio Tessio. Um, and then they kind of have this, you know, classic 
big company talking about open source thing like, oh, you know, we wrote something internal and we're going to open source it. And, you know, that they're, they're kind of two things to dig in there. I mean, one is, you know, they're, they're slowly transitioning their OpenStack stuff to Kubernetes. I mean, they're, they're focused less and less on the traditional OpenStack use cases of IIS and going more down the container route. And, you know, they're, they're using OpenStack for some of the scaffolding around that. Um, just like in the Kubernetes ecosystem, there's all sorts of scaffolding coming up, you know, making sure you have your AD support and, and all that stuff. But then, you know, then there's the, 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 the thread of, you know, when some big company, something internal, and they're like, hey, we're going to open sources. And to me, that's always kind of a, it, it's, it's like open source washing. It's like you, you think that just because you say something's open source and you put it up on GitHub, you're going to have like instant community and patches are just going to start rolling in. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I applaud anyone who open sources stuff. I, I talked with, uh, with a company the other day that, that said that they just put stuff up on GitHub and, you know, leave the license off. So if a customer wants it, they're like, Oh yeah, it's open source. It's up on GitHub, but they never want, they don't really want a community. <laughs> you know, they just, they, the guy, I mean, the guy said, we're cheap. We won't pay for private repos, but you know, the, so you get this like, you know, community. And, and I think kind of, you know, Netflix might've been one of the early people on this trend where it's like, Oh yeah, we're open sourcing all this stuff. And by the time, you know, open source usually gets, or by the time Netflix usually gets around to open source and something, it's mostly done. Um, it's not like they're expecting, you know, an external person to come in and change the way they, they roll this product out. And it might even be approaching end of life by, by the time it's open sourced. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about, about, you know, non-software companies open sourcing a big project just because who's going to support it? You know, how, if, if, if I wanted to run this, this Tessio stuff that, that eBay has, who do I call for support? But do you think, I guess that's kind of the, the question, right? It's what you said earlier in your statement there was just, what's their intent, right? Because, like, I mean, in some ways, it's, it's you know, open source is sort of can also just be overloaded. Just be like, hey, we wrote this. We're going to put it out there because, frankly, we think it's easy. You know, we just, our developers want to put it out there. They want to have access to it. You know, they're not really, there isn't a goal there to build a community. It's more like, you know, we don't see this in-house and we want to go ahead and put it out there and, Maybe, you know, a lot of times people want to speak at conferences on, on you know, developer community or they just feel good that it's out there and it's accessible. They go to other jobs, they can use it. You know what I mean? It's sort of a different, um, a much different strategy than I'm really trying to grow a community uh, around it. So it's more like a more a convenience, if you will. It's, it's, than it's a, uh, a good recruiting uh, strategy. Thing too. Yeah. So I think there's just a different, like, I think to me, that's their state of strategy, right? Like, we want to show people what we do. We want our developers talking about it. They want to write blogs about it. You know why not put it out there, right? But you know if you think that that's going to generate a you know billion dollar business and you know uh, a community, then that's a lot different. But I don't think, yeah. in fairness, to eBay. I don't. You know, I didn't. I didn't read into that. That that's you know what they were. No, doing. no, I, I I didn't really think that. It just kind of you know hit that 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 trigger in my mind of like every time you know somebody somebody open sources like oh you know here's how here's this you know home brewed config management thing and then people are like oh is that competitive with chef it's like chef's been around for eight and a half years as a software company with 300 people working to support you no <laughs> well there really should be a different word for um 
like I'm building an open, I, my intent is to build a huge open source community and get lots of people to use it too, versus I'm just, you know, when I'm throwing my work out here because it's convenient for me and, you know, I like it and it's good for recruiting and also it's good to, to show off what I've done and it's a nice yeah. legal way to do it, right? It's just a, um, and just, you know, again, maybe open source is so overloaded that it just, you know, just sort I mean, of like, hey, know, here it is, right? It is open source, but just, you know, there's no, there's no intention of community or, or, you know, support or anything like that. It's just like, hey, here's some code. And, 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 and I'm sure, you know, that's going to become the, more and more, that's just going to become the default, and and you know maybe it'll bother me less in the future. Um, but and I'm glad that's you know becoming more of a default position. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things like you know, your project is not now competitive with Kubernetes. Yeah, you know th this brings up. I mean, well, first of all, so first of all, like like eBay's always a confusing company for me to deal with about how to think like something like this because I feel like at some point eBay was thought of, well, it's so old that it was never in this cycle, but at some point it would have been thought of in the same way that Amazon was, where it's sort of like a tech company that just happens to like actually be a retail-y kind of company. But I, maybe this is just my perception, but I feel like eBay now is a lot more like people don't think about it as a tech company so much, and they probably still should. I, I don't really know anything about eBay. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, so for example, uh, to kind of suss out the, the confusion I'm illustrating here, right? If, if we were to say, uh, Amazon is, is like, they're writing their own thing and they've open sourced it. We, I mean, that's kind of ironically, uh, if we use Google in here, like the whole thing is like, Ooh, that must be legit. And they want to do this. Like even more importantly, let's take Google, right? Like Google is actually like, a, they have a weird relationship with open source. Um, but like. They've open open source. Tell me if I get this right. Kubernetes, right? And and it's sort of like, yeah, they generally want to do that, and they're working on this, and we don't even sort of like question the well, I guess we do question the efficacy of of sort of open sourcing it. And like, I don't really know nowadays where to put eBay on that spectrum. Like Netflix is another example you raised of like somehow Netflix kind of crossed the border of. Um, what did Mike, Mark Fleury used to call it? Open source dumping? Like whenever Netflix open sources something, we don't think they're open source dumping. We're just like, ooh, sounds awesome. So like, again, I mean, that's just my whole point is like, I don't know where to stick eBay on that, um, on that spectrum. They're, they're, they're probably on the same role. They, they, have, you know, they, they have a lot of different business units that you know, have different software stacks and different parts of them are open sourcing parts. And, yeah. you know, and, and so similar to Netflix, they're probably... You know, it's probably mostly a recruiting effort. Um, I mean, Netflix has open sourced a lot of stuff and stopped using it. Yeah, and, and then so that gets to the second point, which is like, I mean, I always hate this chestnut of a conversation, but this is a, a good time to bring it up like after three years or so is is sort of like, so what is this, what is the deal with open source nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> right and 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 like I'm I'm sure there'll be multiple panels with people of various colors of artificial hair at OSCON in May in Austin discussing this, uh, but like there really like open source nowadays is kind of weird, right? And just to cite one example, I mean that that involves a, a, a lot of us in in the tech world, right? Like so Netflix effectively open sources all this stuff, and then we're all like, well, this is microservice awesome. Let's do it, right? Let's use it, right? Let's let's almost, to a certain extent, and and it, I'm largely biased because in the in pivotal land we think like this, but 
increasingly in like a lot of the world about talking about how you want to do stuff in a DevOpsy way, you're like, well, Netflix does this and they open source this. And it's just like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird new way where like end users are open sourcing frameworks kind of sort of caring about them as a project with, without the kind of like care and feeding that comes from a vendor with commercial, uh, commercial interest behind it. And, and you know, the, the, the whole like, confusion on my point and why it might be actually interesting to see one of these these panels which for me is always kind of nauseating but might be interesting this time is like so what is that right like what do you do with that does that work another one that i I, you know is the whole thing of what we're talking about here is like i still am not really sure even though professionally i probably should be like what the deal with kubernetes is right like (laughs) as as far as like the long-term thing with it like i'm pretty sure it's okay and and like there's there's a whole lot of there there, but early on before it kind of passed into whatever it is this thing I can't name okayness, like early on it was kind of okay to like speculate about the weirdness of it right and yeah to to kind of back that up and, and then I'll cut myself off here right like uh, I don't know I maybe like a it's hard to tell because I'm reading it like in Safari queue which is a terrible interface for reading books I'm just full of hate today that's fantastic uh, but. I'm reading that Google SRE book, and it's interesting to read through that and to try to, like, peer behind the picture of, like, all this proprietary technology that Google has that they don't really open source. And then they kind of choose to open source this other thing, and it's just like a really – it all – all of that adds together into this smoothie of, like – I have no idea kind of what's going on with open source nowadays or what I, what I should be doing with that. Yeah, setup. but I think you have to unpack a lot of those things there. I mean, open source is just like almost like a verb. You know, there's lots of reasons you can do it. And then with Kubernetes, right, I think that one is very specific. I even remember us talking about when it came out was, you know, Docker containers come on the scene, right? We know the established world isn't going to allow the – Docker container to become like something that's licensed and we, we saw, you know, officially it's being given over to an open source foundation. So, you know, kind of the status quo is one out and making sure that that won't become something everyone has to pay for. And I think, you know, Google, when they saw that, I mean, I think it's not too far a leap to say, hey, container orchestration is going to be a big, you know, the next battle here. So we want to get involved. And they had, to their credit, they had quite a bit of experience, maybe the most experience in running that, you know, and basically that's where Kubernetes came from. So I think when it came out, they did have a really strong leg to stand on. Like, we've been doing this for a long time. Here's our container management uh, system. We think this is the way to go forward. And then, of course, they have their own Google Cloud platform. So it becomes something that they can offer. And it also really... You know, again, like we've talked about this extensively on the show, right? It really puts Docker in a precarious position. It's like, okay, well, you didn't get to come on. You didn't monetize the actual container. Now it looks like container orchestration is about to be commoditized because most of the major vendors are, you know, rallying around Kubernetes. So that sort of leaves Docker Swarm in an awkward position. Um, And Mesosphere is sort of out here in this enterprise world, right? Kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do. And so I think in their case, it's both it's a real part of a strategy, right? Like we want to one, make sure people, when they think of container orchestration, they think of Google and probably on their Google cloud slides, they feel like that's a competitive advantage in the long term. Well, and when they, when they announced the Kubernetes project, it was not done. It was not, and what it was barely something that had gotten much engineering effort. You know, this is not Google saying, you know, here's Borg or Omega, which we've been using to manage 
containers for years. This is this is what we want the next generation to look like. Let's put it out there, get the community and industry to standardize around it, and you know Google will operate that standard. You know, will adopt that standard and run it more efficiently than everybody else. You know, in the future, when when uh, when the world has uh, all circled around and adopted Kubernetes, and you know what strategy appears to be working out. I mean, the last uh, couple, you know, uh, the the Kube KubeConf Europe is going on right now. It's a big event. Uh, it has a lot of people there. But in the last uh, week or two, we've seen, you know, at IBM Interconnect, IBM announced that they're rolling out uh, container support uh, with Kubernetes. You know, manage Kubernetes as a service. Um, Racker, Rackspace dropped their uh, Docker-based container as a service, Karina service, and they're replacing it with Kubernetes. Um, you know, Pivotal had some announcements around Kubernetes. Uh, you know, launching it with with Bosch, and and like you mentioned, the container, the can- <laughs> is it now is it container D or container um, con- containered and Rocket were donated to the cloud cloud native uh, computing foundation whatever that foundation's called, the CNCF. So, you know, the, the bottom end is getting completely commoditized and foundationed, and everyone seems to be aligning around Kubernetes. You know, that's what we're seeing, so well played, Google. Right, and I think we even talked about this in the earlier shows, like, you know, the way to make money is the cloud vendors are the ones that are trying to make money, right? It's like, hey, everybody has, you know, Kubernetes or some version of it, so there's going to be other vectors and ways to compete, like, you know, run your workloads here because they're cheaper, because they're better, because they're more private, you know, but it's all going to you know, essentially be using very similar or the same technology. So I guess the real question is going to be, when will Amazon adopt Kubernetes? Because if, if, you know, if they want to, because right now EC, EC, uh, ECS is, you know, the, their elastic uh, inner service is mostly docker based you know it uses uh docker compose and and you know it it's this weird you know mixed older version of it but you know they they haven't adopted mesosphere as a service and they haven't adopted kubernetes as a service you know azure has they offer azure offers all three you know and google is clearly in the kubernetes stack so if if amazon you know whenever if and when they they uh, provide Kubernetes, I guess that's you know game over because all right. three of the cloud vendors will be offering it. And yeah. and I think it's not too far stretched to say you know uh, AWS reInvent right is November I think in the United States. So you know my guess is no later than that. Like that would be a pretty big probably one of their big announcements you know at that show. I like I said I'd be really surprised if it if it didn't happen just because this seems to go against. You know, Amazon's whole thing is, right, you know, get close to your partners, you know, wait till people kind of figure it out. And then, you know, what is uh, use prices, the 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 uh, what the, what do they call it? like anyway use prices the differentiator and bring it down and, and it just seems uh, be very surprising if they come out and try to like go against this industry standard. Right. I think, yeah. you know, it would be honestly, you know, I guess just speaking for myself, even though I'm. <laughs> definitely working for someone with vested interest would be i think all the other vendors would be like great they would prefer if amazon didn't do it right because then it just gives like it's a clear thing like hey you want to go with uh you know K- kubernetes you got to go with us otherwise you got to go with this amazon you you've changed my mind on something i was going to say brandon which is like i feel like i feel like amazon wouldn't adopt kubernetes like the day that happens the joke i was going to make would be the day that like walmart and home depot run on amazon right which is sort of like 
I guess Netflix runs on Amazon, but that might be kind of like a historic uh, accident. Um, Target used to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you know, the joke being that if you compete with the other part of Amazon, you would sure not like to give them money. Like that's kind of a uh, pro tip on business. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but then you reminded me. I mean, it's uh, as as we're fond of reminding ourselves and everyone. Like, like at the heart of it, Amazon's core <laughs> business is I like money. You want to give me money for something? Thank you. Right. And so, if if there's enough market pull for something like that, then sure, why not? Like. It would be totally up for grabs. Now, now that, that brings up the second thing. Like if I were to uh, gun to head myself, so to speak, about like answering my own question, like what's the deal with open source? I, what, what, what do you think of, of, the, uh, of this proposal to kind of close out that, that topic? Like it seems like in the past, the first model of open source was like uh, rainbows and sandals, right? Like it's all good and user control and yay, <laughs> like, like all that happy stuff. And then there was this one moment, the, the, the mid phase was sort of like, uh, I don't know, in the mid 2000s was a combination of like, this is something we can make money off of, we can commercialize it, but also it's a means of production, right? Like it is right. a good way to produce software and many eyes and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then this is where the whole like uh, uh, fanciful notion of lock-in versus freedom to leave and all that stuff came in. I feel like to some extent because of, of cloud, right, public cloud, open source kind of was, has been neglected for a while. And it seems like, especially in this Kubernetes instance, am, am I saying that right? I'm trying to, I'm trying sure. to practice here. Whatever. Okay. It seems like it's being used for lack of the W3C and the IETF and the other organizations setting standards. A company with enough clout can basically attempt to and perhaps successfully set a standard, an industry standard with open source, right? And that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of what we were just alluding Sorry. to. You mean like like uh, Cloud Foundry? <laughs> well, sure, sure. No, that's a good example. Or Docker, or uh, like like what we're talking about with Kubernetes, right? Or or like or what, Red Hat. Yeah, or, yeah. Or or, or, or yeah. like or like Puppet and Chef are always trying to do, right? And, yeah. and and I would argue to a certain extent, like there's a there is a duopoly of like configuration management, and 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 you can almost feel it. At least I can when you talk to yourself. You're like, oh, I should mention those other people that do configuration management, but. Really, like it is kind of like that's a standard way of doing configuration management. And those were never really accomplished in the same way that HTML or XML was a standard. It's more yeah. of just like here's this code by nature of you running it and eventually in our, in our alternate universe number 32A, Amazon running it as well. It's like, well, there's the standard. Done. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. And we don't need no RFC for it. There have been attempts from standards bodies to influence these sorts of things. But, you know, our, when, when, when I was the point person on those conversations, I always, you know, politely declined to partake in them because I said, you know, oh, we're just a tiny software company that, uh, you know, we're releasing frequently and, you know, we don't have time to, to get caught up in, and, you know, standards bodies work. Um, but really it was because, you know, nobody cares about those standards. You know, the, the people who care about them are the people pitching the idea that you'll be able to move your middleware, you know, your middleware banking stack from BMC to Oracle, right? And, you know, those sorts of vendors, they wave their hands and say like, oh, yeah, totally. There's no lock in here because we're, you know, we're doing standards. Meanwhile, you know, they're, they're backing up the money truck for $20 million a year. And, like, if you think you're going to move off of a $20 million a year contract, you know, overnight, you know, that's not happening. You know, I, I think open source sets 
is a way of setting standards. It's a way of keeping everyone kind of on the same page and honest. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of what's going on with the, the various foundations is they're trying to have a standard, you know, and, and, you know, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to have a standard, but still move quickly. And so it's this middle ground and we've been asked, you know, Hey, would you guys give chef to the Apache foundation? And we've never said no, but we've also said, like, why? You're just like, oh, driving into a tunnel, can't hear you. <laughs> They're closing the airplane doors, got to hang up. I would just say, but Jeff's a good example. I just think because you're just kind of like midway through the process, right? Like, I think if you kind of just step back from it and say, I, you know, I don't know, someone will prove me wrong here, but, you know, I always think of like many open source projects or things that become communities you know, they started with some kind of benevolent dictator model, right? Like, th- it's like a movement. This is the way it should be. We're building this thing. It's going to be great. It's going to be an open source thing. And that sheer, like, focus and will is what often makes it, like, popular. And they usually are, like, they have established some, maybe not product market fit, but we'd call, like, open sor- source market fit, right? People are desperate to f- solve this problem. There's a void. This group, you know, goes off because they've, try- they've been trying to solve the same problem forever, and then they get a good solution, and then it becomes this open source thing. So then once it then gets enough success behind it, right, now it's ready to go to like a more neutral foundation, even if the foundations themselves aren't always 100% neutral. But the the world is ready for them to kind of like be taken out, and then you know, if you will, managed in a, a slower process because things are more well established, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but without you know, and I think like OpenStack is a good example of the opposite, where it was like, hey, you know what we should have? Like this cloud's going to be big, so let's uh, let's convene a massive. Uh, uh, set of conferences and standards and, we're, and we'll do it from the beginning that way and it's like no that's not the way it ever works right because without this right. sheer force of will you don't get that success so that's why things I think you know eventually become the foundation and then they just sort of become things that we just take for granted right it's like yeah it's yeah. a, it's a yeah. bedrock of the institution so maybe down the road for chef you know I don't like obviously you know there may be a point right where it will make more sense or some, some config management will become that and go to a foundation and sort of like we will all move up to other parts of the stack. Well, and that's, that's what happened with, with, uh, contain, you know, Containered and, and Rocket going to the CNCF. They're like, you know what, this part's done. We're not going to argue, you know, there's no money here. Let's just make that part a standard and move our fight up the stack. I, I, that's, that's good. Right. You know, that, that, I, I think it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good, it's a good place. You know, it's a it's a good middle ground between standards and, and you know open source communities is foundations picking up stuff that is baked. I think I think this is a good time to insert our mid roll. It's almost successfully actually mid. One day we will meet the, the KPIs, <laughs> but uh, I'll 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 go first uh, just really briefly. I, th- I think I think I really only have like one real thing. So. Uh, we have the Cloud Foundry Summit coming up June 13th and 15th. One of these people, these organizations, these communities, trying to use open source to set a standard. How will it work? No one knows. Uh, but anyways, 
it's it's for the entire like uh, community of Cloud Foundry people, and and it's really great because there's not only like a bunch of nerds who come and talk about whatever it is nerds talk about, but they there are actual end users and uh, even business people, the business if you want to camel case that, and they come and talk about how they've been successful with it and they think about it. So, anyways, it's over there uh, at the lovely Hyatt in Santa Clara next to uh, Levi Stadium. Where I, oh yeah 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 I, I love love me <laughs> oh, that convention Hyatt. center yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, they used to give out toothpaste there back in the, the post-TSA days, which I always picked up some good uh, – what's the Aquafresh? They had the Aquafresh container, which I think is a very – if I was on the, the conversations with Tyler, I would say Aquafresh, underrated. I think it's a good toothpaste. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you want to get 20% off of your registration, you can use the code CFSV17COTE. That's my name. And it's like Cloud Foundry Silicon Valley, the year 17. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, but uh, you should you should come out and uh, check that out. The other thing that I'll insert in here really briefly is you should never really count your podcast reboot chickens before they hatch. So once we've done three of them, I'll say that it's been a success. But for those people who remember my drunken retired days uh, pod, in a podcast sense, as, as I often like to said, you can always have one of those, right? Like it's hard to achieve the full life goal of both of those. But uh, Charles and I recorded a, a sort of pilot episode, and we've committed to every two weeks we'll record something. So if you go to – I have it in my, my other feed uh, show now just because I, I don't know. I don't want to start a whole new thing. But you can go over there and, uh, and hear Charles and I talking again. And, and you should, you should uh, subscribe to that. It will be encouraging. And then hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll start recording that more because I don't do enough podcasts. I clearly need to do more. So, so what do you what do you got for us, Matt? Uh, so, so the early bird pricing for ChefConf uh, ends March thirty first, or you know, midnight Pacific. I don't know, some something like that. Um, and uh, right now, um, we are including uh, Chef uh, certification training with ChefConf registration. So, if you want to go and get yourself certified. Um, you know, we, we have classes that will be available for, for sign up for that. And then I'm going to be at a bunch of events in the next uh, month or so. Um, a couple folks, uh, I ran into it at the DevOps Melbourne the other night. It was good to see you guys, but I'm going to be at the AWS summit Sydney next week. I'm going to be at DevOps days, Tokyo, uh, April 25th. I'm going to be at the hands-on habitat, Tokyo, the 26th and the chef Singapore meet up on the 29th. So see you there. So if anyone knows a good divorce lawyer, Matt Ray is going to need that soon. <laughs> yeah, but I've got, but, 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 but I've got platinum status. Oh, hey. Now, see, th- these are the trade-offs, right? Like, uh, the, you know, you, you do get something. How about yourself, Brandon? Do you, ha- do you have anything for us this week? I do. Speaking of open source. We've open sourced uh, a little library usually called Contextual Sync. And you can go to contextualsync.io. So if you're a developer or you are so inclined and you're trying to keep uh, data in sync on your mobile app and your web app and all your other omni-channel apps, uh, this little library will do it for you. So go over there, check it out. You can um, download some different apps and example apps that we've built out for it. There's, a, of course, the obligatory chat app because anytime you do a type of syncing, you have to have a chat app. We have that one. And then we've got a uh, mobile app. That lets you watch, um, you know, any t- type of media, but really kind of videos at the same time for two different people. So if you're trying to solve that problem, go check out contextualsync.io. And another one I would just thought I would do a little shout out. Um, friend of mine told me about Microservices Austin. It's pretty. It's a new meetup group. 
pretty developer focused. So if you're trying to figure out how to actually build microservices, want to do some hands-on keyboard kind of stuff around microservices, you may want to check out that meetup. And that link, I'm sure, will be in the show notes. Check those things out. Well, that is a good uh, description of that meetup because I feel like every now and then when I don't do the uh, due diligence ahead of time, I show up at these meetings and I'm like, now I'm not actually going to show you any code because I don't know how to do that anymore. And everyone's like, why are you here? So <laughs> I, I will not get involved in that one. Uh, I, yeah, I need, don't go to that one. I this need to have this, the, the slide meetups. Well, first of all, it's very exciting that Brandon had some little mid-roll content for us. So I would just like to celebrate that. That's that's good stuff. So before before we wrap up, you know, I actually like miss this item, despite uh, in in my uh, in that 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 podcast recording with Charles, I was mentioned. I went on this whole rant about how uh, how tech news sucks, and I and I I claimed that I read lots of tech news, but I missed this one. And there was some rumor from my our friends over at the Register uh, that they, they it looks like there was there was some unconfirmed people. Thankfully, uh, well, there were some unconfirmed people saying that they were thinking about buying Accenture. Now, now, thankfully, I don't think there was my favorite trope, which I think this must be in the Bloomberg style, where like if you get some rumors about acquisitions, they always will say the following. Blah, 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 they're going to rumor to acquire them. Set a source who wanted to remain anonymous because the news is not public. And it's like, yeah, thanks. I know why they want to remain anonymous. Like, so I, I, don't, I, don't think, I think the register has that in their style book. But, you know, I'm sure lots of these companies are always considering buying each other. But it is, it is interesting to, to, to thought engineer out the idea of, of Oracle joining the club of people who have merged with a giant services firm. Yeah, I mean, Oracle buying Accenture is is the hot rumor. There's this this evolutionary life cycle of enterprise software companies where everybody wants to get to what they thought IBM Global Services was. You know, there was at one point, like, you know, IBM was the pinnacle of, of enterprise where they would sell you anything from any vendor and support it. And, you know, the money just came rolling in. And and so you saw, you know, HP went down this path. You know, they, they picked up, uh, was it EDS or, or something like that? And Dell, you know, they bought up Perot. And everybody wants to get to that point where, you know what, <clears throat> we barely write any software. We're just a huge, massive global services company. And, you know, it, it's hard to do that. And then once you get to that size, you know, the, the smaller startups, you know, the smaller consulting companies are always coming at you. But, you know, right now, Accenture is huge. Uh, apparently, reading through the, the documents, they're, uh, they're making a ton of money. And uh, Oracle could pick them up for a sweet, uh, what was it, $75 billion. Mm. <laughs> Well, there, there's the answer to your acquisition rumors right there. I just think all these things are, are much more about, like, financial engineering than any, like, Oh, absolutely. Real, real value. Because uh, I think, you know, having kind of been on every side of it, one, enterprise software is a lot like consulting. So there's always kind of like, yeah, I mean, you don't typically, you're not just like rolling in and just like, you know, doing an install shield and everything works. So there's always a very natural uh, relationship between these companies. The problem, I think, is always like if one of the companies is undervalued for some reason or some company is just trying to show a lot of revenue growth is why the deals get done. I will say, having been on the inside of a couple of companies that have done this in different ways, is that really the financial models get very frustrating because on one hand software has all this great margin right but services has like this great you know usually a lot of revenue on a lower margin and in general i just think wall street doesn't like that you know it becomes complicated and you know there's always this like war inside about what's more important like margin or revenue growth and that's why i think these companies are constantly being like put together then 
torn apart. Um, and it's just like, so it's just more like, what is Wall Street in the mood for today? But at the end of the day, I bet you Accenture will always buy or deploy anything for you. Like most every consulting shop, you know, in a large right. company will. They'll do what they need to do to, to win that deal. Just like the company will continue to still, uh, you know, build software and work with other partners. You know, it's just too big. Of, there's just too much money out there to be exclusive on any one of these things. And 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 I, I also, once, you know, uh, hypothetically, once Oracle buys them, you you probably get this you know flight of talent. You get customers you know scared off at you know the closeness between you know their software vendor and their consulting company, and you know you start to lose some of that value. Which is there. There's always this uh, like right now. I'm, I'm working with a lot of you know SI partners and and stuff like that, and and they're getting gobbled up by larger entities. And then one year, two years later what they gobbled up disappears. And so I, I never really understand the value of huge companies buying small companies um, unless, you know, you identify like, hey, these three people, if we put golden handcuffs on them, there's an ROI. Because, I don't know, I mean, like, like I'm, I'm, I, I know a couple of like, you know, 10, 20 person companies that, you know, Deloitte floats a number at them or, you know, Accenture or PwC or somebody. And you're like, yeah, you know, I could take $4 million as a founder, hang around for two years and then go do it again. You know, is that the model? Speaking of that model, I, I think I think and and then and then present uh, present uh, news company uh, included. Like I, I was at a uh, of all places a, a Halliburton conference. Uh, I think I mentioned several episodes ago uh, over in Houston, and there was someone from Accenture giving a presentation about how they were helping uh, drill bit management, extraction, or whatever fancy word people use for drilling into the earth. And it was the cha- the chaotic moon people. Remember them? Who, uh, oh, yeah, who, really? Yeah, who Accenture bought. So Accenture at some point bought Chaotic Moon. And this was only like an hour-long presentation, but it was awesome. To your point of it being, I wouldn't call it like an aqua hire. It, it's more, I think for a services firm, it's sort of like a capabilities and ethos hire, right? Like this is a new mm-hmm. way of doing things and probably a book and a brand that that's, is valuable for services people. And you see this in the analyst acquisition world, or at least maybe I'm the only person who ever pays attention to that. Uh, but when you're buying a, when you buy a services thing, of that scale, you're really looking for like, I like the way they do stuff. I like the cut of their jib and I want to add it to my jibs. And that really right. came out in that presentation where what, what the Chaotic Moon person was able to demonstrate was literally we took a video game engine and applied it to, manage, to monitoring and managing how your drill bit is functioning, right? And that's something oh, that yeah. like, yeah, with that, with that kind of, let's assume it's all legit and like actually long-term cool. But like that's the kind of thing that like Accenture could scale up, and you could like you could take that kind of approach yeah. and be like, let's do that across like not that exact thing, but let's think about things that way across fifty different companies or accounts that we have, and then and then it starts to make sense. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, once again, Brandon has totally shot down an idea that I had. Uh, you know, I, I I was thinking like I don't know. With with my ironically, whenever it comes to like acquisitions, I, historically I'm always like way more positive than I should be. But like, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean I mean the 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 existing software company, mega software company, like merging with a services company in this era of like transitioning from on premise to SaaS always seems like good on paper to me. But like. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe what I should be reminded of is that most acquisitions don't really work out, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so and so it's a little like uh, it's a little dicey. It, you know, but if it's if it's strictly for financial engineering, it works out for somebody. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I, I should be, I should be careful in the the glass skyscraper that that I operate in. Or what, what's what's that that uh, that word William Gibson would use that like you've got the compounds an '80s Japanese word like the chayubatsu or something like you got the, yeah. the whole glass superstructure. Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a whole other theory that that there's not really time to uh, go over in any way that's satisfying for me. But like, there is this shift that we hear bump up against every now and then is like the 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 age of the IT world. All of your big mega I, uh, software companies in the world, maybe they're shifting towards more of a GE holding company model, right? And maybe, and you see this kind of reflected at least from what you hear about whatever it is Alphabet is, uh, ironically being one of the younger Uber big companies out there, like maybe that makes sense business-wise for them to shift into a Samsung or, or a GE or a Google model for doing stuff. Or I don't know, in, in which case, financial engineering is not so much a, uh, a snarky comeback about things, but it's sort of like, well, yes, that's the whole point, <laughs> right? Right, it's, it's right. Like, it's like, this is where the word synergies is actually a legit thing. That when you combine together, I don't know what, what Oracle's market cap is, but when you combine together two $70 billion organizations, like there's some snarky line about, you know, if you've got two rich drunks together, then you got two drunks or whatever. But like, if you have two marginally functional $70, $100 billion companies, then maybe you can extract out like a 5% gain from that. And then that turns out to be a shit ton of money uh, that's that's valuable. So... I don't know. Who yeah. knows? As with all these rumors, maybe it'll never happen. But historically, it's always been interesting. But then it's also notable that, as we were alluding to, mo- most of those people that you mentioned uh, have been like shedding this model and moving to something new. So I don't know if that's because that's the cycle that you have on this. And every 10 or 15 years, you would shed whatever services thing you have. Or if universally that means that it's just a bad idea for for a, well, a I, I don't do. know if they're shedding that model as much as like evolving it. Right? You know, it, it's a constant churn yeah, of yeah, yeah. well, you know, we 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 did this for a while, and you know, now it turns out that you know mainframe consulting isn't as uh, yeah cost efficient as it used to be. So we'll spin that out, or we'll lay those people off and get out of that market. Totally. Yeah. I, I, mean, um, I mean, I mean, that's that's what I would think of as shedding, right? Like, didn't uh, yeah. like like you know Dell sold off. After I was there, so I don't know anything about that. Uh, and uh, and then uh, like, didn't HP? I think HP still has. I mean, HP is HP. Who knows? That's, that's whole, but HP just didn't HP just buy up CSC? Oh, did they? Yeah. I, I mean, but so so the the breakup of HP, if that's accurate, like I still get confused because I think they own fifty one percent of Microfocus. So did they really break up or acquire Microfocus? But whatever. The 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 division of, of of HP Consumer and then HPE is something. And then there's also like spinning off things, maybe, but not really into Microfocus. And so like like all of it. That maybe that's not shedding to your point, Matt Ray. It's it's yeah. uh, it's 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 evolving like some sort of Lovecraftian thing that like molts but is yet a mammal. Like I I, I don't. Well, know. Eh, eh. And and back when we were at you know the the lower levels in in a company that is you know aspiring to be like that you know we as just the uh, developers we were like you know what's up with the culture of layoffs here and you know the the cu- the culture of layoffs is really just well that's how evolution works <sighs> exactly layoffs <laughs> but I do think just to like step back because we like mentioned so many acquisitions and things there it's like I would just kind of come back to like first principles here it's like hey big software company getting together with big services company mostly just financial engineering and the day you know just kind of showing how does Wall Street want to you know 
to to deal with that. Like for the actual people on the ground, very little. Uh, I mean, talking about customers, very little changes. Like the software is still going to be there. The people are still going to be there. Everyone's going to still work together. They're just too big, right? It's just too big to to make major changes to that business model. So, you know, the industry kind of just rolls forward, in, in my opinion. Mm, yes, ever evolving. Anyways, so with that, why don't why don't why don't we uh, why don't we roll into our recommendations? I'm I'm eager to hear some of Brandon's. I have some questions. So let's start with you, Brandon. Okay, so I was going to recommend really two books. Um, one is called. They're both by the uh, the same author. One is uh, uh, Sapiens. The other is uh, Homo Deus. I think is how you say it. And they're um, both by this historian whose name I'm about to mispronounce. Uh, I think it's Yuval Harari. And, um, the, you know, I always often think to myself, that, like, I wish there was more strategic thinking going on. And I don't know, just everywhere in my life. Right. And this person, uh, his background is he's an historian, I think, based out of Israel originally. But he basically walks back to the beginning of uh, Homo sapiens. Like, how did, you know, Homo sapiens come to become the dominant uh, mammal on earth and why that is the case. And so he starts to like very much prehistoric times and walks you through that history kind of all the way up to present day. And it's sort of just, uh, in my opinion, just sort of mind blowing the level of thinking he's brought to like what um, has enabled Homo sapiens to become, you know, so if you will, successful or the dominant mammal on earth um, and what that might uh, lead to. So his first book is Sapiens, which kind of takes you through all of that and, and how human beings got to be where we are. And it touches on everything from politics to religion to just, you know, it'll make you question just about everything you've, you've um, thought, thought you knew. And then the second book goes on to kind of give you a glimpse into where you think the, the future is going and, you know, artificial intelligence and things like that. And he has some very interesting ideas. Um, so it's a lot of books to read. And if you're like, don't really want to read that or to listen to those, uh, I got his name or, um, information actually from an Ezra Klein interview. So um, there'll be a link here to the podcast where you can listen to like an hour long interview with him where he kind of outlines a lot of his thinking. So it kind of gives you, if you will, the uh, the Cliff Notes version of that. Um, but then if you're interested in actually hearing, you know, his full, full opinions, I'd recommend both books. And like I said, uh, I don't know, just give him the like, you know, the current climate of the world and everything, it'll, it'll give you a very uh, good perspective on like uh, just history and, and maybe like where humankind fits into all of that. So really good books. Um, hopefully something you guys will enjoy. And the final thing I'll just say is I kind of, the other book that I thought of here was, was actually your book, Kote. It's the uh, American Gods book, right? So American Gods, um, which is the novel about what the protagonist is sort of, uh, there's the old gods and the new gods. And that has, um, Similar themes, or his his thinking is very similar, I think, mm. um, to some of the themes that are touched on in that book, and in a totally different way. You know, that book, you know, I was obviously is a, a work of fiction and a you know, novel, and it's, has its uh, good and bad. This is more like an historian's take on different gods that maybe exist and why they exist and you know what purposes they actually play so good stuff you know so check all those stuff all those things out. Well, I, I have three quick comments, not not to along this, but like uh, so one. I, I'm I'm kind of glad to hear you recommend that because I've been hearing that like all the technology luminaries are recommending this book, which makes me immediately not want to read it. Right? Like, like <laughs> I, I I feel like I feel like it might be dangerous or something, but like it's good to get from a trusted source that uh, that that it's a good thing to check into and read. So that's that's good. Second, uh, you know, 
if you're really into like uh, future stuff, go back a few episodes and and just listen to my uh, my on and off reviews of Diaspora. I think I think that's, that that'll, that'll be good for you. And any peering oh, into no. the future, just they're, they're strange worm creatures that we're not sure. They're carpets. They're basically rugs on another world, and we have to figure out several oh, ways of communicating okay. with them. <laughs> and so, uh, how did you feel about gravity uh, <laughs> or uh, Interstellar? Interstellar. Oh yeah, eh, that that movie was fine. I got no beef with that. I also I also uh, I also really like Suicide Squad, so I must have terrible taste in movies. Um, Me too. Yeah, yeah, but uh, so the thir- the third thing, what I really wanted to ask. So I started reading this this book, Sapiens, because um, uh, in an offhanded way, this uh, one of the people I work with, James Water, kind of recommended it. So I started reading it, and and I was reading, it and I was thinking, like, this sounds like a great book that I should read to my son, my seven year old, because th- at the very beginning, it sort of just lays out like everything, and and what's interesting is he's he's in a very conversational way explains what genus genus means and species and all this stuff. And so my question to you, Brandon, I've read like five pages. Like, do you think this would be a good book to read to, to a seven year old or does it, does it a get overly complicated or just suddenly go into like caveman fucking? You know, it's probably not a seven year old, maybe like, I would say maybe like a 10 year old, right? It's, you know, I think we, we share some, some similar beliefs. So I think you won't have a problem um kind of let you know because the book certainly puts i would say in like um like if you ever read like the selfish gene and some of the, the stuff by um you know the the atheist guys right they're kind of dicks right even if they have some good points they're just like dicks i mean they just make everybody i think everyone hates them right whereas this book isn't necessarily putting like an agenda around like um anything it's more like just explaining like hey you know like for example, like evolution, you know, and then there's this ability, like one of the central themes of the book is he, he talks about is like, you know, human beings were able to evolve to a point that we came up with abstract thinking and the ability to tell narratives. And that that is one of the most powerful things that that we possess as a species, right? And allows us to cooperate, uh, co- cooperate and do lots of different things. So I actually think that is the kind of stuff that I would, I, you know, we'll see in a few years, that I think younger people would it would actually benefit from kind of understanding. Like, where did this come from? Like, why did the Romans come up with gods? Why? Because you actually, I'm like, I think if I remember my life, like high school is when you kind of start to study different literature and gods and stuff like that. And it's, but it's sort of like, why does all of this exist? What were they trying to solve, right? And then if you start to go back and say, hey, we're the same species, right? Like, we're the, like we may look back at a make fun of the Romans because of their beliefs around, like, gods on Mount Olympus. But, you know, we can actually, then he kind of just says, well, let's look at what, let's look at our stuff today. And, like, what maybe looks, why do we believe the things we are? And, so, and then this is back to, like, your point about American gods, right? That, I think that book is doing a lot of the same things, right? It's, it's sort of like saying these old gods are dying, but there's some new gods. And so I think, yeah, I mean, to me as a parent, you know, I, I would like to expose my child to this going yeah. forward. Um, I don't know if I'd make it seven, maybe a little too much. The, the other day I was thinking, I bought the, the audio version of Norse mythology also by Gaiman, and I thought maybe I'd have Cormac listen to that. Ironically, in, in a slightly different bent, but like, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to read more of it because the other day, kind of like when we had those two episodes where you asked me to talk about myself, like the other day Cormac asked me, he said, uh, Daddy, why don't you believe in God? And I realized I've been waiting my whole life for someone to ask me that. So like, and now he's got to like deal with me so we can have that uh, that conversation ongoing. So that, that might be fun. But I will, I mean, we're like way, way off topic and I'm sure we're like way too long now, but like, 
my son is about again they're i think uh, cormac's just a year older so um my son just asks me all the time about some of the stuff but like you know one thing i've just learned as a parent matt ray you can chime in you have the older children it's like you can just tell young kids like you can just be very direct with them they don't like it yeah. at least my son doesn't get mad or anything he's like he asked me stuff like we believe we don't believe or it's different friends of religion you just tell him don't believe this believe this and he's like okay like he's yeah. just you know what i mean he doesn't like get up he's not like you're like well what's gonna happen if he discovers death he's like he tells me all the time he's like dad stuff dies did you know that i'm like i am familiar and he's just yep. like he's fine he's very you know he's just taking it in just needs to understand what's going on so i've become less afraid now i just tell him like this is what i believe this is what other people believe you know he's yeah. just processing it all yeah. yeah. What, what I believe is you should not play Minecraft all the fucking time. He, he will not <laughs> accept that. But well, I'll I'll be I'll be really quick. The only uh, the only recommendation I have I had an anti recommendation, but I'll skip over it. Is uh, I've started reading the uh, the uh, the Google SRE book, and and I think I think it's entertaining. It's 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 kind of worth reading. I skimmed it really fir- at first, and I thought like ah, this book is just like uh, a, a manual that sneaked out of the door, <laughs> and. Uh, but but I I think I think it has a you have to read it with kind of like a reverse engineering mindset. But it's uh, it's right. a helpful book to read. And and then also uh, my buddy uh, Andrew Schaefer, also boss. Uh, he, we we had a discussion about it a little bit on a, a pivotal conversations podcast. If if you want to stick it in your ear instead of your eyeballs, but it's uh, it's worth looking into. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Um, my my recommendations are, th- are things you stick in your ears. Uh, yeah, one of them is is a uh, a nice uh, retro recommendation, something that Brandon brought up in episode sixty six. I finally got around to listening, <laughs> the uh, Radio Lab uh, More Perfect podcast ser- miniseries about the Supreme Court. Um, very good, of course, Brandon. Uh, well done. Um, you, you know, I just needed I just needed a a, a nine hour drive to to knock out the whole series. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, any any, any chance? Uh, you you get to to knock out uh, a long long series about the Supreme Court. Really good, really good. Uh, and then uh, my other recommendation is uh, one of my favorite bands, Spoon, has a new album out uh, called Hot Thoughts. Uh, if you've listened to any Spoon before, you know that uh, they just make really good pop albums and very very consistently good. So, uh, and I saw them last week in Sydney, and the show was very excellent. So, um, that's that's my recommendations this week. Well, with that. This has been another exciting edition of Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode uh, at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 91. If you just delete the, the 9 and the 1, uh, you can go to the main page, and you can find a way to subscribe there. You can subscribe in your iTunes, your Overcast. I think there's even, like, Stitcher. I don't know what the fuck that is, but apparently it's a thing. Uh, but you can go there and subscribe, and that's really what you should do. If you're not subscribed to it, that's the easiest way to get uh, – I'll, I'll speak on behalf of my my nonsense and and the brilliant uh, uh, words of my my co-host here every every week or so or two weeks or whatever it is we do. It'd also be great if you went into iTunes and like left a review. We we have a, a review from just uh, not too long ago from someone which is wonderful. From uh, I, I if I remember the handle that that's used, it's uh, it's it's Snoop Dave. He's been around for a long time in in, in the orbit of all this nonsense. It's a, it's it's a nice nice review almost. Pretty much on par with the previous other one, which I think explained us well. But it'd be great if you left a review or hit those star things in Overcast or iTunes. And it's also good if you just, like, share it with friends or help us spread uh, what we have there. Uh, And so, like, uh, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.